Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I don't know what is, what, what's happened. By the way, Jaime, I just got a book for you. It's perfect for this podcast. It's called, uh, But I'm Not an Expert. <laughs> <laughs> So how to go from newbie to expert and radically skyrocket your influence without feeling like a fraud. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 223 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Timitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And it's an extra special added treat. We have Greg Heo down in San Francisco, California. Hello. All right. So yeah, so we uh, last week we had a, we were talking about sports of all things in in the uh, and and TV and things like that in in the after show. Uh, so one sport check thing I had was that um, or fa- sorry fact check thing I had was that I had mentioned that we had two TSNs or the Sports Network um, channels up here as well as you could subscribe to ESPN. But what I meant, what I was thinking though, was that we have TSN and we have Sportsnet and they were two rival uh, sports networks up here. And and looking through this uh, link I've got in Wikipedia, there's quite a few of them. And I've just got a link to the Canadian channels. But if you look, there's a list of channels from around the world. But there are TSN 1, TSN 2, TSN 3, and so on and so forth. And there's also Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet 2, Sportsnet 3. That said, TSN and Sportsnet were gobbled up, I believe, by um, a large network. I think it's Rogers owns those two those two um, franchises, and so they're all under that one umbrella now. So is that right? I thought TSN was a Bell CBC thing. I believe, yeah. See, I'm, un- I'm unclear about that, to be honest with you. But um, like again, I don't really watch sports, so I don't know. But what, so the point was, Mark was talking about hockey, and it just seems to me that 
now on Saturday night, you know, there's like four different games broadcast at the same time. And it's like, you know, it's CBC, CDTV, and then then Sportsnet will have one and then TSN will have another. So I, I, that's why I think they're owned by, I would have thought they were owned by the same people. Let's click on the link and see what it says. Hmm. Last I remember. Uh, okay. So Sportsnet is CTV Sportsnet. No, owned. it was originally CTV Sportsnet and then Rogers bought them out. Oh, did they? Rogers became sole owner of Sportsnet in 2004. Okay. Yeah. That's one. And then TSN. Let's see what that one says. Da, 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 da. Hmm. Just 20% share. Where does it say it is now? I thought they were a Bell. Oh, you're right. You're Bell, owned by Bell Media and... Yeah. and- but they're shared by ESPN, so okay. I did use to sort of work for Sportsnet, so I remember. The- you sort of worked for them? I was a, like a contractor for them for a bit. Oh, okay. All right. Good to know. Good times. More than just code, folks. Um, the other fact checkpoint we had was I, I mentioned Bill 131. I wasn't sure, but it's actually Bill 101. And of course, you know, all of our all of our subscribers from Quebec have now left the show, stopped listening to it. But um, <laughs> please come back. Uh, but Bill 101 is the is the French language law here, and it's I think it pertains primarily like, like Jaime said that he thought, I think he was sort of alluding to the fact that television shows have to have a French translation, and that's not necessarily true. It's it's packaged, packaged goods and signage and stuff like that, especially in Quebec, have to have uh, French first and then English uh, as a as a second sort of subtitle kind of language, right? Or, or all of our packaging throughout the country is, is English and French, you know, front and back kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to television and stuff like that, sadly, uh, we have separate channels for French and English, and um, whether a show gets translated into French, I think is up to the producers of the show, really, you know? So, most of them are, though, but uh, yeah, so that's that's my story about Bill 101. Incroyable. Incroyable. Formidable. Maintenant, uh, je suis continué. Uh, avez-vous any Ask MTJC, Jaime? Oh, oui. We have one from, uh, from the <laughs> show. Dan Beauregard says, follow up on NFL TV in Canada. Mark slash Mapsoft said, uh, was asking about out-of-market games in Canada. Sure. Um, CA has the Canadian rights to NFL, and it's a streaming service. It allows access to all games, no blackouts, and includes NFL Red Zone and NFL Game Pass for 20 mm. bucks a month. Cool. Yeah, not, not, not too shabby. Buck. Anything for a buck. Well, the, the conversation did continue because I, I, I chimed in on on that one, and um, I asked if we got blackouts on regular TV, and Dan didn't think so. Was it originally from Dan? Oh, it was. Okay. Um, but I do remember, once Dan sort of jogged my memory, I do remember seeing on like on you know when you look at the TV guide as you're looking through to see what, what's on TV it would say blackout in effect and some and if you went to that channel it would be black like and it would say blackout in effect and I think that usually was something related to like a bell a bill Buffalo Bills football game or something like that but that would have been like I'm thinking like five years ago like I haven't seen that anytime recently and of course now that you can stream things and subscribe to things I think that I think you know all the rules have changed now that you know now that, that now that they fi- figured out a way to charge you for those kind of things right the streaming services make sense that's my two cents. Mm-hmm. But wasn't Mark saying last week that that uh, if you have DirecTV, you can still watch the out-of-market games? I think he and was I, talking about with uh, DirecTV's uh, Sunday NFL ticket, which oh yeah, yeah, is definitely a lot less than twenty bucks a month because uh, I don't know what sort of content, if any, they show outside of the NFL season. But you know, mm-hmm. over ten months, that's two hundred dollars right there, um, just to make the math easy. And I think it's about two hundred dollars for the Sunday NFL ticket on DirecTV. They, maybe they've changed the pricing. I haven't looked at it for a long time. Right, right. Okay, cool. Um, so let's move on to the follow-up. And you have something here, Hame? Yeah, this one is um, following up on Johnny Ive Designs Things. We have talked in the show about... <laughs> I don't think we talked about the uh, the camera, but we did talk about the uh, weird Christmas decoration thing. This time, he and Mark Newson have designed a $250,000 all-diamond ring. Uh, 
uh, for charity. And when they say all diamond, they mean the entire thing is made out of diamond, including the part that goes around your finger. So this is a one-off or, or? Yeah, I think so. Probably because it's presumably super hard to, to do this sort of thing. You'll get a diamond that's of the right quality where the top piece will be you know usable and then the centerpiece, you do something with it. I'm pretty sure they don't just throw it away. Uh, they have like a Timbits equivalent, I would assume, for that hole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go to waste, but they still do. Uh, Johnny like bits, a, yes. Yeah. yeah un- unlike a, a traditional you know ring made out of you know, metal of some sort, typically gold, you can't just cut it and you know shrink it down or cut it and add more gold or whatever, platinum, whatever, to make it larger. Like they have to use some sort of laser and water pressure to specifically cut this and they can only do so much adjustment to it. So. Oh, so they're not cutting it in the back of like a, a fancy Cadillac car like they used to do in the 70s commercials and stuff like that? I'm unfamiliar with that, but I feel like that deserves a link for the show notes. The ride was so smooth. They were able to cut <laughs> this diamond, you know? <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but it's almost assuredly on YouTube. So I look forward yeah. to seeing that one. Yeah. And of course, you know, Saturday Night Live took it and made a commercial where they could, there was the ride was so smooth they could, you know, do a circumcision in the back of a, a Cadillac or whatever it was. We'll have, to, we'll have to find a link for sure for those two commercials. But um, all right. Yeah. And, and I mean, I wonder, like, isn't diamond like one of those things that can cut glass if you scratch it? Like, wouldn't you just scratch the heck out of your iPhone if you if you wore this ring? <laughs> yeah, the diamond is the like hardest known substance, probably. Maybe there's some lab created stuff that's. Harder, I think it's but... gonna be like sharpened to a point. So if oh, there okay. were like a sharp corner on this and you like dragged it against the phone, then it would scratch it. But if it's like nicely rounded, then I think it might. It's so not like the Midas touch where if you touch your phone, it turns to gold and then therefore you can't use it anymore, right? Mm, I don't think so. I think you. Uh, I don't think the edges of this would be too sharp, especially if you're actually gonna wear it. Although they say the ring is like actually tiny and like a baby could wear this. Uh, not oh, really? I was going to say not a human, but I guess babies are human too. Uh, yeah, it's a very, it, very small ring though, probably just for show. Maybe put it on a chain and wear it as a necklace or something. I guess, but it's a pretty big, If you, in the picture here, like it would have to well, be pretty... There's no sense like, of scale my, though. It's just like a picture of the ring, but it could I be... I know, I know, but yeah, this isn't like, this would be like a wrist bracelet if it was to scale, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean... But I mean, like, you know, what Jaime was saying, like what happened to the chunk that got cut out from the middle? Like you'd have to have a big, you know, big it enough did say flawless... it was a synthetic diamond. Oh, synthetic. Oh, I missed that. I missed that. That, won't, really that won't survive a ride in the back uh, of a Lincoln. I think so. It says that it will be a lab-grown diamond, which makes sense because they can't, well, not that they can't. It would be hard to find a diamond this large to kind of cut out. Um, so it says it's, uh, syn- I think it says, yeah, synthetic diamonds. By a Leonardo DiCaprio-backed company. Mm. And they can make it up to up to a ring size of five. So, so Greg's quite right. It's uh, it's meant for babies, apparently. Mm. Mm. Reminds me of a really bad um, Titanic joke I saw on, the, on Twitter last week. No? Which was? I didn't see it. <laughs> which was which which uh, which astrological sign didn't survive the t- Titanic? Or yeah, <laughs> is it Leo? <laughs> <laughs> it is in fact Leo. I think I told the joke wrong, but yeah, That's apparently a whole bunch of Leos got upset at that joke, huh? Mm-hmm. Nothing. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll hear it in post, and if it's better than what I said, I'll play it. <laughs> no, don't worry. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Jaime, you got some news for us Apple people who are maybe thinking of shipping stuff between the, the Christmas holidays. Yes, in follow-up to a year ago today, roughly. <laughs> Really pushing the uh, in the long yep. term, everything is following. Hey, everything's follow up after a while. You said it yourself, Greg. This is so great. I can't believe Greg was here for this episode because it made it that much better. That was just the universe wanted that to happen, and I think it happened last year too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so in any case, following up to last year, the App Store uh, or App Store Connect rather will go on uh, on holiday, um, just about the same amount of time, probably. I guess it's about you know three to four mm-hmm. days. This mm-hmm. year it is December 23rd to the 27th Pacific time. So if you've got a bug. 
you better get those fixed beforehand or be prepared to deal with it for four days. That's true. And as a special, you know, pre-announcement spoilers for everybody, you know, Greg will be hosting the, the Chris, Christmas extravaganza this year. Oh. Of MTJC, right? Whoa, spoiler alert there. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody listens to this show anymore. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. So what's next? We got, oh, this is me. Um, so Apple, I, I read this article the other day in the Star, and it was from the Wall Street Journal that Apple is, has decided to cut the price of the iPhone XR to boost sales in Japan, um, I guess because it's a slow-moving market for them over there. And of course, you know, there's the big story was continues from last week where um, Apple has cut the production of most of the phones according to, you know, what, what we're hearing. Um, and that's, you know, made the stock, the, the Apple stock continue to go down. Um, and Trump isn't helping with his, his talk of tariffs as well. But um, I can't read the article anymore because now I have to subscribe to read the article. Isn't this crazy? What is this world coming to? Because I'll have to pay my dollar and get my subscription. But I don't know if you, have you can you guys read the article? It's closed up for me since I saw it this morning. Uh, I believe so. Yes, I think I can still see. Oh, no, I can't. But sometimes if you do the, uh, no, that doesn't work either. Sometimes if you do the, um, what's that called? The, oh, the reading read, the, the reader, reader read, something Oh, like read a vote. Yeah. That doesn't work? Yeah. Uh, no. no, not for me. To read the full story, I have to uh, have to pay. Yeah, they've, got, they've gotten too smart for us. Anyway, so that, that was a bit of news. I could probably go get, grab the newspaper upstairs and read it like an animal on paper. Um, but that said, I mean, like I, I also saw this just this evening was that uh, um, an executive over at Apple, even though Apple's not dis- said they're not going to disclose, you know, individual sale numbers anymore, um, they're saying that the, that the iPhone XR is the best-selling phone model that they've got since it was, ever since it went on sale in mid-October. So in spite of all the bad news, uh, it seems to be doing quite well. So mm-hmm. that just came out on Reuters today. So. It really depends on, on how you uh, parse and pick this apart. And because it's Apple-related, of course, everybody in the media has has, uh, has their own take. Some folks say, oh, look, see, you've lied to us this, you know, the last 10 years, don't, especially last year. Oh, no, iPhone 10 is doing terrible. Look, they're cutting orders, and it's it, it's too expensive. That's why. And, whoops, it turns out it was by far the best-selling, and it sold in you know, tons of quantity. No problems whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um the specific statement about it being about the iPhone XR this year, um, you could interpret it saying like, well, if you didn't tell us what the baseline is, what if the 10s and the 10s Max are selling so terribly that even the 10R is doing better? That's one interpretation. Uh, the other interpretation is, is like, well, since it went on sale in mid-October, well, okay, maybe you had a whole bunch of 10s and 10s Max, go, you know, go on sale and get purchased in September, but then come October they started waning. So of course, just by you know being the fastest person. <laughs> in a very slow team um yeah the the 10r might you know technically be true that it's selling uh the best out of the models since it went on sale in october not saying that it went uh the best of this generation or all sorts of other things that people are like coming at this from um i really seriously doubt that apple just suddenly saw the bottom fall out of iphone sales altogether i don't really buy into the idea that the 10r is doing um well only relative to very wildly underperforming 10s and 10s max i, I just don't believe that i see too many of the tennis and tennis max in the wild to really believe that that the four just like for the bottom just fell out of it I'm not saying it's better than the 10 or that it's better than any other you know models um and that the current numbers wouldn't be lower if they were still reporting those uh going forward in the year but i don't think it's uh i don't think it's quite as dramatic as being portrayed really so you're seeing lots of 10 10 s and phones in the in the wild because i'm still seeing lots of tens so i mean i mean how can you tell a 10 from a 10 s these days but i still see a lot of uh, a lot of the smaller size phones 
let's put it that way, right? You see lots of 10Ss around? Or 10S Max? It's a 10R, didn't he? Oh, sorry, 10R, 10R Max. I'm getting them all mixed up now. So uh, again, 10S Max is, is definitely tellable. Uh, tellable. It's something you can tell. <laughs> Identifiable. There we go. Um, 10S is a little harder. It's usually more from asking somebody like, hey, is that at the 10S? Right. I have a 10. <laughs> let's compare. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I know a few people have picked up the, the 10S recently. So, yeah, I, it's hard to tell. But you're, you're right. Do I, I do see a lot of 10, 10 like, phones with notches or sensor areas. I see lots of those around these days, you know, um, or, or you can tell by the camera on the back, right? But, uh, yeah, interesting to see. I don't know. It, it, this, you're right. This, this tends to happen every year. Oh, doom and gloom, and they're doomed. And mind you, this is the first year where, where you know, we've actually seen some, some really negative slide on the stock. It usually goes down a little bit after announcements, but um, this is it's surprising. Yeah, a, a whole confluence of things has occurred such that Microsoft overtook Apple as the uh, most yeah. valuable company. Mm. Slightly, yeah. it was like 837 to 845 or something. And they've probably have jockeyed back and forth a little bit in market capitalization of what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Apple, mm-hmm. well off of the um, $1 trillion mark in market capitalization that we talked about earlier in the year, but kind of not surprising because the whole market's sort of taking a beating. So I think they said like the entire tech industry, if you count that like Apple and Microsoft and whatever, like didn't they all lose like a trillion dollars like combined yeah. of uh, market cap in the last however many weeks it's been? Yeah. Apple so, went down to like 800, so it's like 200 billion right there. And then if you add up all the other big tech companies, I think, uh, yeah, pretty big. Pretty yeah, big. they were calling the FANG stocks on, on the, the reports the other day. I heard some mm-hmm. FANG stocks is Facebook, uh, Apple, Google, and Netflix. Netflix? Yeah, or Amazon too. They say FANG. That's a, oh, two A's? Two A's in there sometimes, yeah. How does Netflix get in there? I, that's always been a mystery to me too. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you think about Netflix, it's like video streaming. It's all done, not all done. Much of it is done through an app. And so they're also, I think, a pretty big tech, at least in the iOS world. It seems like Netflix doesn't really belong. But you think of all the infrastructure you need to push all those bits and push all those videos to everybody. It's a, it's a lot of stuff. Sure, sure. Um, so actually, before we move on to the to the rest of the stories, um, I, I just put Black Friday here because last week Mark and I were talking about what we expected Apple to you know offer as part of, of uh, the Black Friday sales. This year they had a four-day sale, which is which is more than they've done in the past. Usually, I think some of the days that they just had one. I picked up an Apple TV 4K. As I said, I, I needed one to get one anyway, and I got $35 off in the form of a gift card, which is fine because I'm going to spend that money at Apple anyway. Like I, I'm always in the Apple store buying something, right? It's not like not like lost money to me. But getting $35 off where most other places for Black Friday were offering the same TV, Apple TV for with $10 off. But what I found interesting was that they only offered um, these gift card deals on consumer-level products. None of the pro devices had any of this stuff. So I just wanted to see what you guys thought about that in terms of Apple. Like, new iPads didn't have it. None of, none of the phones had it. Um, just, you know, like the regular iP- the 9.7 iPad, which is, I guess, the regular iPad now. Mm. Um, and, you know, Apple TV, and I think the MacBooks had it. Kind of makes maybe? sense. Apple is not usually like a big discounter. Like, they'll have their education promo where, you know, right. if you buy their laptop, they would give you a free iPod back in the day, and now they give you, I don't know what they give you, $100 off something or whatever. Yeah, it's a uh, gift card now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they've, I guess they're in the good position. They've, I mean, even before when Apple was doomed and all, like they've always been a higher priced product compared to the rest of the market. And I guess right, they don't, yeah. they've never needed or they've never felt the need to sort of have sales. It's like, oh, we're going to get a huge bump. It's like, no, they're going to sell a million iPhones anyway. So in that sense, it's like, why bother? And the other part is like, they don't have to do it. And maybe the third part is even like, we don't want to cheapen the brand. You know, we don't want to be like, oh, I've, you know, I get a discounted stuff or this stuff is, you know, 50% off or something. 
something like that. They're just like, no, this is the price that we charge and we think it's worth it. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll give you whatever, a $30 gift card. But I can see them not like even a 10% or 20% discount on like a MacBook Pro. That could be like, you know, two $500 off depending on what you configure. Well, right? I, I think I was wrong about that. I th- now that I'm thinking about it, because I know I was, I'm looking at a, a MacBook 13, MacBook Pro 13, and I believe there was $240 to be had mm. if you bought that one. Okay. You can, again, send your links into AskMTJC, hashtag AskMTJC to, to let us know. But yeah, I do do that. By the way, another thing too, just as a side note here, a second side note, a side note on the sidebar that um, I saw the MacBook Air next to an, uh, like, cause he's still selling the regular MacBook Air, like the style that I have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with the SD slot and the, you know, Thunderbolt ports and whatever. This one, um, the new one is the same size, physical same size as a MacBook Pro 13, mm-hmm. just a little thinner, right? Because it doesn't have the, like the bulk of the, I guess the bigger battery and, and, uh, yeah, it's like tapered down, right? Like the front edge yeah. thinner than but, the, the back. But the footprint is smaller than the current app I put um, MacBook Air. So it's not quite as small as an, as an 11 inch, but it's it's comparable. I guess it is actually. Mm. Now looking at my my Air over here, my sorry, my 11 inch Air. Um, but yeah, it's quite a bit smaller than the new one. But it's identical. Like the footprint is identical to the 13 Pro. So mm-hmm. I guess if you're if you need more horsepower and more you know more uh, a more upgradable RAM and whatever, then I think the Pro is a better choice. But yeah, I'm thinking about getting the Air to replace my 12-inch MacBook single port. Since, you know, yeah. double the ports, the Thunderbolt 3 instead of just USB-C. Um, I guess the screen is a little bit bigger, you know, same kind of keyboard and whatnot. But I'm thinking about it. Maybe it's worth the uh, slight size and weight increase to get the um, better horsepower and all that other, faster RAM and all that other things. So I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I bought a USB-C Luna display as well. They had a discount on that. So Because I have the th- I bought the Thunderbolt one to go with my current MacBook Air. But since I'm in the market to move to USB-C, I got the other one as well. So. Did you spot the Skydio? Did, no, I haven't seen Skydio yet. No. Okay. Me neither. In my uh, searches across the city, across the Bay Area even, I have not seen one yet. Well, it's a high-priced item. I don't, I, you know, I, I think that it's available through the store, the Apple store online, right? You can probably uh, pick true, it up but, in the you store. Know, Mark promised that there would be some in stores somewhere, but I have yet to see one. I expected to go in and see like a genius flying them around the store, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know? That's follow the genius. Follow, yeah, play, let's play follow the genius, right? You I know. do have an Apple store appointment tomorrow, so I'll see if they have one. Uh, here, I'm going to a different store this time, so we'll see if they have one. Which store are you going to? Uh, Union Square. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's got the two levels thing. They could really do a good Skydio demo in there, right? <laughs> they do have that, yeah, the little, like, uh, like a performance space. I was there last time, and there was yeah. some group doing a concert or whatever. So, yeah, they got the room there. They can also fly it around Union Square, too, right? There's quite a bit of room there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that might be a no-drone no zone, though. You never know. That's true. That may be why, yeah. All right. All right, I'm sure our is chomping at the bet to tell us all about Amazon Web Services. So how about you, Jaime? <laughs> so this week, as we record, is Amazon's conference. Um, oh, really? AWS reInvent. And they're coming with all bunches and bunches of new services and stuff. Um, something that sort of caught my eye was this uh, AWS Graviton processor. Amazon has developed their own ARM-based CPU that it's using for server-side processing. Uh, it's going to be available on EC2 instances, tagged as A1. And uh, this is kind of interesting because they're saying that for certain kinds of workloads, it can be a lot cheaper. Um, it's unclear to me where that comes in, but it seems if you have processing needs that work really well at uh 
probably uh, lower CPU usage, but you know more of them uh, sort of works better that way. I would assume because of lower power requirements. I would guess this sort of gives you some of that data center or outlook of like, look, Amazon doesn't have to use quite as much power to power these chips that they can offer that um, processing power at a lower price to you if your workload needs it. Like if you have CPU constrained workloads, it probably isn't for you, but um, it is interesting that somebody is getting um, sort of the foothold here into ARM-based processors on the server. And I think we've been talking about the possibility of ARM-based processors coming to uh, to Mac OS uh, at some point in the future. And so it's kind of interesting to see if these two end up uh, interleaving or intertwining at some point. Was there anything else interesting at the Amazon event? Like they, Yeah, they came out with, um, oh, I should have had a note here. So they came out with like a like an OCR-based type solution, but it's like so much better that it does more than just character recognition, but also tries to infer meaning from the data, kind of thinking that they'll end up using that for um, medical documents, legal documents, that sort of thing. Maybe even, you know, like receipts and all sorts of things you can imagine for that. They right. came out with a, um, like a robot, a robotic car league. They're miniature, they're like one eighth, maybe one quarter size autonomous vehicles that will race and, you know, you compete, uh, I assume robot wars style where you, you develop your software and then you have the robot sort of run its way around this track, uh, maybe like an obstacle, of course. Probably a whole bunch of other stuff. I wasn't really prepared to talk about AWS reInvent in, in general, but it's it's kind of like the uh, equivalent of WWDC where like this just huge explosion of new things to go play with. So is it like the like where they would have announced all the Alexa stuff in previous years? Is that the idea? I think they do. I think they do end up doing a lot of that. I don't think I saw a ton this year related to um, Alexa or Alexa related technologies. Like in previous years, they have announced um, Poly and Lex, I want to say. One that does text to speech and one that does speech to text as a service, which kind of makes sense because that's sort of how the Echo works. Right. But uh, as far as I know, no, no new integrations or no new languages like last year they had Golang offered as a um, a Lambda or cloud function language. We'll see, cool. see how things go. Cool. All right. So I have a quick post here uh, too that uh, uh, Amazon apparently is getting into Amazon Pay, uh, which you know, it's going to attempt to take over from uh, uh, be a competitor to Apple Pay. Um, that said, I wonder what uh, pers- like I think that I did I read somewhere that it's like one percent adoption. Oh, here we go, Wall Street Journal again. I was just going <laughs> to say, Tim, another Wall Street Journal link. I know. Like, well, I get these from the Star, and the Star they, they repurpose the Wall Street Journal stuff, right? Um, anyway, um, <laughs> what I do remember is that that it's a very low percentage of of people in the United States have adopted um, like Apple Pay or online pay hmm. or like you know these near field communication pays. Um, right, Carol was saying that we're we're way ahead of them when I mentioned it to her the other day. So you guys are way ahead up there, or I mean, like a lot of the rest of the world is. Well, I think because we have the tap to pay, right? The we've had that for a while with the, with the interact, so it was an easy transition to move to Apple Pay. Yeah, yeah. Here, I think you see people doing it with their phones. I mean, I don't think any credit card here has the, at least none, none of the ones I do, have the um, NFC on them. So it, really? People do, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they only have chip and pin, so they're... Okay, people. yeah. Um, but yeah, when you do see people use the um, tap, then it's pretty rare. You go to like nerdy... Play- I mean, it's San Francisco, so there's like nerdy people all over the place. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the, you know, cafes, restaurants, even like you go to the food trucks or something like that, and they have the... They use Square, like they have the little Square reader, and then they have like usually the iPad set up, and those take NFC. So I use that all the time. That seems to be 
in a lot of places, uh, food places. I mean, um, but yeah, I don't see I don't see a super a lot of people using it. So I use it all the time because it's just handy. Um, and with the phone, that's easier. Some people do it with the watch and they have to like, contort themselves to like put their wrist over the reader, which might yeah. be like almost behind the counter. It's a little bit weird. Uh, so oh, yeah, a bit tougher. But um, with the phone, yeah, yeah, I, I use Apple Pay all the time. I, mean, I know what you mean. You have to flip your wrist over upside down, but yeah, but the terminal's usually out where the where the client is here, but the end user is. So to follow up um, on the tap to pay, I would agree with Greg that it's definitely not super common and it's unique enough here in the United States that Visa has been running commercials recently with uh, Eli Manning and Saquon Barkley, both mm-hmm. players for the New York Giants. Um, and it's a Visa tap to pay commercial. So mm-hmm. they're, they're showing that off. So it's it's unique enough here that it's worth paying the money to have uh, those guys be the endorsement. Cool. Before we move on, you said Visa? Yes. Not Visa? <laughs> I'm not sure how I pronounced it, but sure. <laughs> Probably. It's an S, not a Z. Visa. It's a Visa. Or Z. Huh? Visa. Yeah. Oh, now I don't actually know how to pronounce it, though. I, I, I do say, like, it. Tim, I'm with Tim this time. I do say Visa with a Z sound. I feel oh. like the, the government document, I would say Visa, but for the company, I would say Visa. And there's really no good reason for me to do that. <laughs> Right. Interesting. Well, next week, pronunciation follow-up, I predict. Okay. So it's interesting to me that Amazon is trying to... They've actually had Amazon Pay for quite some time. So it's. I guess they must be really, you know, uh, having a renewed push for it. It really? doesn't surprise me because, you know, Google Pay and Apple Pay, uh, if we want to be inclusive, we should probably... Globally, we should talk about Alipay from Alibaba. And I forget what WeChat says. WeChat Pay, I'm going to call it because I don't know mm-hmm. what the actual term is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Those are really popular globally. And it kind of doesn't surprise me because we still, I mean, we, we talked about the, the U.S. financial system being kind of a mess and we don't have like an interact equivalent. Um, but globally, there's just like no easy way to move money back and forth. That's why there's things like PayPal and TransferWise and pick up a zillion different things. Even Venmo can be kind of useful for that too. I think everybody's trying to make it easier to not have to use your credit cards or debit cards directly. And they're trying to be the aggregator for those. Like, for example, I got a note from Dropbox this weekend saying, by the way, your Dropbox um, premium or plus or whatever it is I'm using is going to renew. And I said, oh, let me go check to see if I have the right credit card. Oh, I don't have a credit card on file. I'm paying for Dropbox using PayPal. Of course it's covered, which is, is, is pretty smart. And they should have bought the, there was a Cyber Monday or Black Friday sale where I think Dropbox plus is $100 a year. And they were offering it for basically half price. You would still pay $100 and you would get a $50 Amazon gift card and Dropbox plus for a year. So is that only for new, new folks or is... No. Oh, because I bought something like that before. So I bought it and I was, and you just put the code, you go to dropbox.com, you redeem the code and they're like, great, next time it's time for you to renew, we'll use it. Um, so really good. Oh, that's really nice. But I I already had a code in there for like my next time. So now I'm good for like the next two and a half years uh, because they had a sale on it like over the summer. I don't know why, but they they had a similar deal where it was like half price. It was like $30 and I bought a code then. So I've bought for a long time now. And now I have a $50 Amazon card. They actually mailed me a card and I had to type in the code to my Amazon account and add it. Uh, it was like half price. So you can look for those kind of sales um, here and there, I think. I think. I think I'm still using the free account for Dropbox. Do you use like a terabyte or something like that, Greg? I don't, but I, I also got a bunch of, you know, if you refer people, if you install the app, you get um, whatever more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got that. And so I had that. And then uh, when I was at Facebook, because Facebook has like a corporate Dropbox account, okay. and if you link it to yours, then they actually give you like your personal account. They give you like, I don't know, 100 gigs or something like that. And so I guess I was using it. And then when I left Facebook and they like disconnected it, they were like, yeah. oh, you're over your free limit now. And I was like, what? What the hell? And then I was like, oh, I didn't realize they did that. And so I had right. extra storage.
storage. And then when I left Facebook, they took away the storage and now I was over my free limit. So I was like, oh, I'll just start paying for it. Yeah. Oh, I see. Because I, I went to the, I, I upgraded to the, the, I don't know what it was, some sort of a terabyte or whatever, um, or maybe it was 100 megas. I don't know what it was. But but then I, when I can't, when I closed my business down and canceled it, I had to get take stuff off of my thing to get back down to my, my eight gigabytes or whatever it is that I have. It's yeah, like exactly. The size of a flash drive, right? I figure they're um, reliable. I haven't had any trouble with Dropbox. I'm like, no, I have no problem paying for it. And I'll put all of my yeah. backups and things like that on. The only thing is that that access thing that they still ask for on, on your system preferences. Uh, I still cancel it. That still comes up every once in a while. I always cancel it. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Everything still works. So the next story is is an interesting one about this class auction lawsuit that apparently is going to the Supreme Court. I don't know what if it's actually going soon or it's already been through Supreme Court, but some people are trying to sue or trying to determine whether or not people can sue Apple for um, the outrageous prices on the App Store. I think that the clickbaity title is completely wrong here. Um, it's more about whether Apple is, is you know is I guess. Uh, what's the, the the monopoly term or um hmm. where they're they're running a closed market right kind of thing um i've clicked on the link here i can't read it okay here we go uh so apple to defend phone app fees in the supreme court is the second angle of that one from bloomberg yeah i think the idea it? was like the app store is a illegal or potentially allegedly an illegal monopoly because the only way to get apps right. onto your phone is through the app store and so i could think this brings up the whole sideloading argument and you know should we be able to do half you know when you do provisioning before the days of test flight when it was all horrible and it was like this is the way to do it if you want to if you did have an app that didn't meet the requirements but you wanted your family to have it or whatever right and right you had to go through the developer account which is technically not meant for distribution um, right so yep. maybe it's illegal who knows yeah and and I mean we've again we'll come back to our usual position on this is that you know I think the one of the reasons one of the reasons that uh, I agree but but Apple does say the reason why they do have the the app store is that they they basically can they're vetting the developers to make sure that they're not, you know, creating or compromising your security and your privacy and that kind of stuff too. And that's one of the reasons why they, they don't allow third party, like, you know, ways yeah. to, to load things onto your phone. Um, and I think, I don't know if you remember, but my, my coverage of, um, um, uh, what's his name uh, from, uh, who used to run the Cydia store? Jay. Jay Freeman? Jay Freeman, right. Yeah. He was talking about how it's kind of like gotten to the point where they don't even bother jailbreaking anymore because Apple is doing all the things to protect us correctly and, and, and making it a lot easier for things to happen and things like that, right? But um, I'm curious about this Illinois brick decision. You guys haven't ever heard of that, have you? Uh, no, I don't know that one. I had not, but I did see what I think was probably a strategery article on it. So uh -huh. the, the the question here that, that Apple is, was asking the Supreme Court to look at was, you know, who is the seller in this case? Is it Apple or is it the third-party developers, you know, people like us? Right, right, yeah. And it was based on that, uh, that Illinois brick case where there's like a chain of people. So there are people who make bricks and they're, you know, okay. like wholesalers something who like buy the bricks. And then there's contractors who buy from the wholesalers. And then the state of Illinois b purchases services from the contractors. And the state of Illinois is like, wait a minute, right here in the chain between the bricks, uh, the brick makers and the uh, wholesalers, there's this weird, um, like uh, price setting sort of thing where like uh, mm -hmm. the collusion mm -hmm. on price, I think is what it was to make sure that, that the pricing ended up a certain way R rather than letting like open market price 
prices determine the prices of bricks. And they say, wait, that ended up causing the price of bricks to go up, which therefore eventually caused us to have to pay more for services when we hired contractors to do stuff for the state of Illinois. Therefore, we are an aggrieved party. And I think in that case, right, if right. I remember correctly, the court said, no, 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 you're not an aggrieved party. It's very indirect. The, yes, there is an impact to your costs, but unfortunately, the person who is the party who is the aggrieved party should be the people who are like immediately impacted by that purchasing decision, not you several steps away. And that's what Apple is trying to argue mm-hmm. here and say, oh, um, they're not buying from us. They're buying for the developers. We just happen to be in, in between. Yeah. I mean, that that's sort of the position that, that I suppose I see it as a naive developer that, that Apple is giving me the ability to have a store and, and they collect the money for me and they handle all the you know taxes and stuff like that. And, and I don't have to do that as an independent developer. You know, if, I, if, I, if this, like, you know, when I was reselling product, you know, I used to have to deal with the taxes myself and I used to have to go collect the money myself and, um, you know, Apple doing that for me, you know, it's kind of like a, it's like FreshBooks doing my accounting, you know, and FreshBooks, you're not, you, when you pay me for services through FreshBooks, you're not paying FreshBooks, you're paying me, right? I don't know. I see it more the other way where when you were doing all the work and you were collecting the money firsthand, yeah. that's like, you are definitely the seller. No, no, no. I, I'm saying that in, in that case there, but, but Apple, so you think Apple is the seller now because they provide the marketplace for me? I mean, they collect the money, take a cut, yeah. not just the processing fee, but like a substantial 30%. Yeah, a chunk, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's that. They do approve the apps first. You can't just put anything. It's not just an open storefront where they provide space. It's like they're like vetting these things as well. You don't have any information about the customer, right? All of the customer information of who's buying this and, you know, when and all that stuff, like the customers are anonymous as well. So I don't know. I think there's some merit to saying that Apple is the storefront. In, yeah, well, so the determination is, but it, it feels like if money is, if you just get a giant deposit from Apple every month and you have no idea who bought the app, then I, I, I don't see how the individual developer, you can say, oh no, they're, they're, the, they're the seller. That seems like, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, it would see, I, I, I take it from a different perspective again. I think that, that Apple is protecting the customer from nefarious sellers. <laughs> I mean, that, that may know? be the case, but that is like irrelevant, I think, here. If you say, oh, Apple's helping the customers, like, it doesn't matter. Is this in, you know, an illegal monopoly? Like, like software on your Mac. We don't get all of our apps through the Mac App Store. We get them from wherever we want and we install them. And right. that's like up to us to manage. And, you know, we've gotten this far and I guess maybe on like Windows and DOS, it was a different story with viruses and whatnot. But, you know, that's just the way computers worked for a long time and we've survived all the time with antivirus software and whatnot. Um, so that could work on the phone as well if you could just get an app from anywhere and just install it and sideload and run it. Like Android has something like that. Yeah, um, but Android is also riddled with viruses too. Is it though? Like, do you well, have people not riddle, but it had, like, there are there are it's chances. Definitely possible. Very much more more likely that you will run into a virus lidden phone that is Android rather than iPhone. But I wouldn't say like you know just because it's possible. Oh my God, it's like a huge problem, and you know people are dying on the streets. Like I don't I don't know. I don't think it's that bad on Android just because it's possible. I think this one will be a very difficult one to unpack because one, there's the procedural thing of like, do these people who are suing even have a basis by mm-hmm. which to sue? meaning are they an aggrieved uh, potential aggrieved party mm-hmm. um, that is one where like greg i could kind of think like yeah i, I kind of think apple is the store in this circumstance however there are some things that are factually incorrect in how the um the plaintiffs are claiming here apple is not adding 30 percent on top of it's not like 
You say, oh, this app is a dollar. And then, oh, what the heck? Why did I get charged a dollar 30? No, you got charged at precisely a dollar. The developer is the one who says, wait a minute. I thought I got a dollar. No, you got you 70, 70 cents because yeah. we took 30% off of that. Yep. Um, so it's very clear that, that, that overcharging is not happening because Apple is adding its uh, rent seeking tax on top of that. So that, that might make a big difference in how the Supreme Court ends up looking at, okay, if they decide that this is truly uh, a potentially aggrieved party, then they might say, oh, well, Apple's not forcing them, them being developers to actually raise the prices. There are many people who do, who say, hey, you buy it through, you know, you're my website, you get it for cheaper because I don't have to pay the uh, the 30% tax to Apple. That's different than Apple, like, surreptitiously adding fees on top that you're like, hey, what the heck when, when the bill comes? Well, so so there's two things. There's one sort of side that we haven't sort of talked about, and, and that is that as developers, we should see this as ridiculous because of the race to the bottom and the fact that there, it, that the Apple, in in some ways, I saw an argument on Twitter that, that they allowed the prices to race to the bottom. They allowed the fact that, you know, everybody could start charging less and less and less to the point where we're, we're given given the milk away, right? There's that argument, but but let's take, let's take a look at another another look at Apple. Let's say Apple is like Macy's, or it's like it's like a department store, right? And they're providing an avenue for you to sell your shoes or your your coats or your you know uh, perfumes or whatever in their store, right? Um, department stores add you know a, a markup to the products that they carry, but they're not the manufacturer of the co- of the product, right? And a lot of times when you go buy like a like a you go buy a, I don't know a vacuum cleaner or you buy a, a table saw from from or a Roomba is an example from Macy's if you bought a Roomba today and you took it home it, it would say right on the on the box don't take this back to Macy's if you have a problem contact the contact the the, the company here's the one eight hundred number whatever right so what I'm saying though is like I see the Apple Store more like a department store where you they they give the consumers somewhere to go to pick and choose and and read reviews and sort of see what other people think about the stuff and they're also giving them a protected safe environment they're not going to some guy on the side of the road and giving them their visa card number or their apple pay id and letting them just charge the dollar 99 when you know they could scam them and charge god knows what right um but like what if you had a big i mean you could say but there are different department stores right i could go to Nordstrom. oh yeah yeah that's true that's true the service there is better and you know they they have a slightly smaller markup let's say so the prices are slightly cheaper and there's competition there and i can get the same vacuum cleaner over there and get better service but we can't have it on the app store it's not like um mtjc llc we are going to review people submit their apps to us we will review them make sure there's no malware and we will take a 20 percent commission then like all the developers would flock to us and say yes we're going to sell our apps through you guys because you still charge a dollar you'll give us 80 cents instead of giving us 70 cents and and if people trust us to say like yes we will review the apps and vet them and make sure they're good then we could do that and make money but we can't because there's only one place that you can get the apps so i see it a little bit like that or i was going to say if you had a big um, company like, um, I don't know, Microsoft. And Microsoft said, you buy the app directly from an uh, iOS app directly from us. You trust us. So like Panic or some, you know, somebody like that. And they said, get the app directly through us because you trust us and we are vetting our own code, obviously. And we, you know, we know what we're doing. Come give us a dollar and we'll take the entire dollar and we'll offer the download. We'll host it. You know, Apple doesn't have to pay.
say anything to like, you know, do any of that stuff, then like, why can't they do that? So I think I see it more like that. So I think the more I think about it, I think that um, the exclusivity of saying the only way to get apps is through Apple. And there is like money changing hands in that sense. And they are taking a cut of it. So I don't know. I think the more I think about it, I would lean towards that. But I don't know. I don't know the exact legal technicalities. Yeah. There's also the liability. Like, let's suppose you write an app for, for the app store. You put it on the app store. Something happens to the guys, to the end user's phone. They lose mm-hmm. all their data. They lose all their photos or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And they think it's your app that caused the problem, mm-hmm. right? Should they be able to come back and sue you, Instagram or whatever you are, you know, Greg, mm-hmm. Greg's photogram or whatever? Yeah. Gregogram. Um, are they see, able to I come back like and sue you directly? Should. Or should they be able to sue, sue Apple directly? Or should, should Apple be own some responsibility for that? Right? I feel like Apple would not take... I mean, I don't, maybe this has happened. I don't know. But I feel like people would people would sue Apple because Apple has more money. But like, really, like what? whose fault is it? I would say it's my fault. And so that argument would say that. Like, no, I'm I, saying like, I, what I'm saying is, and what I'm saying is, I'm not saying, I'm not saying your app caused the problem, but your app was the app that the user had open at the time when this happened or, or you, you, you they, they, they had your app open, then they answered the phone and then something went wrong and they lost their photos. So you were, uh, you were in, you were in the room, but you weren't necessarily the guy with the smoking gun. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, I see. Should they be able to sue you? Cause you were, you were in the room, right? That's a little bit tougher because nobody in that case, I mean, I guess you could tell like what happened. Oh, it was a bug in iOS. And it's like, okay, well then it's Apple's fault. Um, if there's no way to tell, then I don't know. That's tougher than who are you going to yeah. sue? You have to prove, yeah. you have to in the end prove who it is. But that's a good example where if it was my app's fault, then would you sue me or would you sue Apple? Because you could say, well, Apple's the store, but I'm the like the vacuum cleaner. I made the vacuum cleaner, but Apple sold it for me. But who is liable? I feel like there must be something in the developer contract that says Apple is totally not liable for your application though, right? There must be something like that. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the, what the rules so are. So that, that makes me feel more like no, it's all on the person, the company, and the company's the seller, and Apple's totally just the middleman, not the store at all. So I think that would go one piece towards that argument of saying that um, the person is this, uh, the company, or whoever, whoever makes the app is the seller. Yeah, and we, we digress from the original argument, was, which is whether or not the this whoever's suing this this class action lawsuit can sue Apple for creating this single monopoly. There's a terminology for it. I forget what it is but they used illegal monopoly which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting because uh it's not illegal in and of itself to have a monopoly um, yeah. you have to generally have to abuse that monopoly and within the u.s which is where this case is being uh, considered generally that has to be looked at as there's consumer harm and i think we sort of addressed the like of course there's no consumer harm software is cheaper than it ever has been before um i mean it's it's ridiculously obviously now it probably was obvious enough back in 2011 when this lawsuit was filed so First, you'd have to determine, like, all right, is it in... Actually, I'm probably thinking of it the wrong way. So I'm going to start from the outside, go back in to where they're probably well, going to... 2011 was well before the, the race to the bottom, too, because that was around 2013, 2014, right? Uh, it definitely hit a fevered pitch there. Um, and we're in the uh, post-apocalyptic era of, uh, of of the App Store now, I guess, in terms of uh, you know pricing and everything, and everything's you know, switching over to freemium or uh, subscription pricing. But there definitely was not the, like, oh, yeah, like I can charge you know 30 bucks for this app sort of thing in 2011, you 
you, you would have been laughed off the stage if you went, tried to do that. Uh, $10 was too high. $5 was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how expensive this app is, uh, which is quite a bit different than buying your, your package software at Best Buy for $30, 40 $50, $100, $500 if it's uh, Adobe Photoshop. Um, but there's that, right? So there's, uh, is it an illegal monopoly? Because it's not illegal to be a monopoly in and of itself. And then with regard to the monopoly bit, they would have to determine, is it even realistic um, to define a market, he says with scary air quotes, as Apple devices, when a very reasonable take on the market would say, well, smartphones, which Apple mm-hmm. isn't even vaguely close to a monopoly. Right. Um, it's closer in the US. It's like 51 to 55% iOS versus Android, but uh, certainly globally, it's not even close. It's like 80-20, maybe even worse, like 85-15 in favor of Android. And I don't know that I've ever seen monopoly charges, and I'm sure there's probably a, like a law student shaking her fist right now. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a monopoly thing come through where like, oh yeah, we barely have a slight advantage within a, let's say like the US market, which is where the US Supreme Court would have relevance. So I am not a Supreme Court justice, but I'd be really shocked if they even determined that Apple had a monopoly on its, ostensibly its own stuff, its own products. Like uh, for example, uh, can you buy non-IKEA stuff at IKEA? Mm. There's probably people shaking their fist right now, but generally speaking, I would say no. I don't think I've ever seen non-IKEA products at IKEA. And IKEA has its own line of um, table lamps that if you've ever noticed, their table lamps don't use normal bulbs. They use yeah, weird yeah. IKEA bulbs. IKEA bulbs, yeah. It's like, what is this? <laughs> this isn't a normal bulb. It's like three quarters the size of what it's supposed to be. Is that an illegal monopoly? Is it a monopoly? I don't know. I'm not a Supreme Court justice. Only play one on this podcast. So don't take your legal advice from me, but I'd, I'd be shocked. I'd you, Jaime. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> given that it looks like anybody can become a supreme court justice these days yeah so. that's what I was trying not to get too political but i was thinking that too i was like i don't know if i'm qualified well i don't know i might be closer to the line than i thought yeah yeah greg is it time to go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks i believe it is why don't we stop at you tim do you have a pick i don't have a pick this week it was a bad bad decision to stop with me <laughs> <laughs> how about jaime jaime do you have any picks i do i have uh looks like three of them all right so the first one is uh it's it's almost follow-up. I could have put it in the follow-up section, but decided to turn it into a pick. So we have talked in the past about um, Google and Microsoft opening their uh, machine learning courses that they have developed for their own engineers, product managers, and other employees. Uh, Amazon has done the same in its own, quote, machine learning university is now available to all folks. I believe it is free other than the um, the charge for using AWS services, which is you know probably tens of dollars from what I've seen online people saying. Uh, but you can get um, everything else, you know, course content wise for free. And you can also decide to pay for a certification. Is it uh, AWS, AWS certified machine learning specialty certification? Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I'll be honest. I have not tried this one, nor the Google one, nor the Microsoft one. So I'll have to take a look and see see uh, which one sort of seems like the the best route for me but it, i mean for free content it's really hard to to say no but it's kind of it's kind of interesting you said it's free but then if you have an aws account they charge you money well, so there there are like free levels of service you get from AWS. I think it is generally time limited. Let's assume you're not a student because I do think they have right. a, oh, like, maybe a free like thing for students. number of CPU cycles or something like that, right? Yeah, number of requests, uh, number of gigabytes uh, transferred to the network, number of gigabytes stored, that, that sort of thing. So right, yeah. uh, since machine learning takes a lot of data, I assume that it will go beyond the generally um, uh, generous free limits. But it sounds like from what I'm seeing online, you know, 
you're paying fractional cents for each of those things. So it ends up being tens of dollars as opposed to uh, hundreds of dollars, which is still pretty cheap for, you know, machine learning course. Cool. All right. What else you got for us? I've got a blog post here from uh, Ennis Hipster. Matt Triple T Thompson is reminding us about all the fun things that uh, we've actually talked about this before, but I learned some things that I didn't know about SIM control or SIM cuddle. If you're a Kubernetes fan, I would guess you like that pronunciation. S-I-M-C-T-L. What does it do? It lets you do all sorts of cool things on the command line with your simulators. Uh, one thing I like to do is open up URLs. So if I'm testing, you know, deep links, for example, into my app and I want to try it in a cold start scenario, um, I tend to use the opening URLs piece. But I didn't know you could do other things like setting the simulator locale. That one is one mm. I will have to try. Um, it mentions other things I did know. And I think we have talked about like uh, capturing videos and uh, adding things to the photo stream. But it's really nice to see this in a really late, you know, well laid out and like very easy to follow along and copy and paste the uh, example sort of way, as you would come to expect from an Hipster. Cool. Yeah, just, I think we have talked about this before, but this is an interesting, uh, interesting uh, set of tools or suggestions, whatever options. Neat. Did Greg fall asleep? No, isn't there another pick? I'm Probably waiting for my third, my third and final pick <laughs> for this week. You're allowed to comment on the picks, you know. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> my third and final pick of this week is uh, a blog post from friend of the show, Joe Toplinski, talking about subscriptions and specifically about allowing users to manage their subscriptions. So uh, Apple doesn't really give us a great way to do this. You can't just call something from the iOS SDK to do it, but you can get most of the way there. So uh, part of it talks about, part of this blog post talks about uh, Recaf chose, uh, I think, fairly recent app um, that has a subscription service attached to it. And he wanted to make it really easy peasy. There's a screenshot of like how you can see in the, I think it's the settings or more app or tab. You can see, do I have a subscription? Yes, it is active. How do I decide to manage that thing? Well, uh, Joe's given us some really easy code here that you can add as uh, extensions to your UI application. Um, one is to open subscription management, which opens a um, ITMS, so an iTunes uh, URL. And I've tried this. I just you know threw it into my browser uh, to try out the URL. Like sure enough, it sure does take me to my management screens. And for me, that ends up showing me the Apple Music subscription. Presumably, if I had a subscription, nice, yeah. something else it would show that as well. Um, and he also reminds us that uh, you can also directly open the apps settings um, for your own app. So you call your application, you know, open settings URL string, and that will take the user to the settings screen for your specific app. So if you're like, look, I am a video chat app. I obviously need you to give me camera access, and I also need to have microphone access. And for whatever reason, you have totally ignored all my requests to do that. So you can go fix it yourself, user, by turning it on over here. Um, I've used that before for push notifications, which is a really, really difficult area to to deal with permissions wise and sometimes you just end up with the fallback of like oh if you don't have push notifications you should tap this little button here and we'll take you over to the settings you can go check to make sure they're even on mm-hmm. but both of these things i think work together quite nicely to make it easier for users to understand how do i fix this problem that i have with this app because the settings screen if anybody's gone and looked in there recently it's it's huge it is like the junk drawer of the ios ecosystem like everything goes in there and it's hard to find where things are. It's a little nicer because you can search most things now, but that's something I happen to know, I think, with Joe's offering here, where as a user, and you don't have to be a, you know, diet in the wool, you listen to this podcast, and by golly, you 
you're listening with bated breath at WWDC every year. If you're just kind of an average user on the street and I don't know how to change my subscription, I think it's really nice to offer this to users within your app. And if you're sold on that, Joe shows you how to do that. Pretty easy, couple lines of code. Cool. Trying it right now. Yeah, I think opening the opening the settings app to your app was a huge thing because otherwise it was like, you know, did you not enable, did you forget to say yes on camera? As time I mentioned, it's like, oh, you know, hit the home button, go to settings, scroll down before the apps are even listed in the bottom. You know, it was just, it was just horrible. You have to like go to the camera permissions and find your app and whatever. So uh, definitely a big thing. I didn't know that subscription showed up there, actually. I don't think I have enough apps with subscriptions to have noticed that. So I'll have to I don't have any. scroll through. Yeah. Now that I'm trying to think of what app I have that has a subscription, maybe none of them. So when you use that, when you use that URL, the ITMS apps.apple.com account subscriptions, mm-hmm. and you open that, but let's say you go to like Safari and you try entering that in the What's URL an idea? Yeah. yeah. What does it take you to? What What do you see? It takes me to a, a thing in the, in the iTunes store called, wait for it, subscriptions. Just and there's to, nothing there. It says, hooray, you have zero. It says you do not have any subscriptions. So what is the I, URL that I should? Oh, I see. It's, it's in the, it's in the, uh, it's in the code that he's got example, open subscription management. If the, um, copy paste thing works here. Yeah. It works yeah, for me. On for, my me phone. for me, the only subscription I have is, uh, my Apple music subscription. Let me try it on my, let me try it on the, uh, oh, it's trying to open the iTunes store app, which I don't have. <laughs> is that what it's doing yeah. for you guys? Or is it going? No, to... I did. I did it on my phone. That's what I, that's yeah. what I said. That's what I'm doing. Uh, my... Did it open the iTunes store app? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I don't have that app. I've okay. On my Mac, it. it's opening iTunes library and let's see what it does. Because theoretically you could have your subscription attached to your, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think iCloud would count as a, as a subscription? Well, this this is more like app specific subscriptions. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So, so I, I'm paying Apple for Apple Music, and that shows up in there. If I were paying for, uh, I, I don't have Recaf, and if I was a user of Recaf and subscribed to it, it presumably would show up there. Um, again, this wouldn't work for things like like I am subscribed to Dropbox, but not through Apple itself. So it, it doesn't show you like every subscription you might possibly have, just uh, ones that would have gone through Apple's payment system, mm. which. I Actually, it kind of makes me think like it, as nice as this is, and um, thank you, Joe, for putting this code out there so folks can use it. It'd be really nice if Apple could make this something you could display within your app very kind of seamlessly, the way they made the store kit stuff um, that you could display in there mm-hmm. a lot more mm-hmm. nicely. Um, it's okay to bounce the user over to the uh, iTunes app, but it, it would feel nicer to just let you seamlessly manage that or, or present something to the user they can manage that. Like, I, I'm sure a lot of developers are out there thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to make it easier. Like, like, I'd kind of prefer them going to customer support and having to, to find out how they could do it. But I, I think more positively of like, yeah, you know what? I was on the standard tier, but I think I want to make it easier for them to upgrade to the uh, the primo tier. Or maybe add a family plan or something. Cool. Well, now it wants me to sign in. Great. <laughs> I know I had to download the iTunes Store app and they did it and it looks like it's all WebView stuff. So it's not uh, especially performance. Nice. Yeah, it did sit on a blank white screen, I think, for an uncomfortable amount of seconds mm. the first time I did this. Interesting. Okay. So, Greg, do you have a pick? I do. I'm going to have two stealth picks. Uh, the first one is a code pick. So the text editor sub Etha edit, if that's how you pronounce it, it's the yeah. collaborative editor from way back in the day that people were using where you can have like, 
like multiple people contribute to the same document. Yeah. Um, they're still around and they have gone open source. So if you go to oh, GitHub, really? to the link provided in the show notes that I will paste in right now, uh, it is open source. So they had a blog post somewhere, I think as well, which uh, I don't know where it is, but um, they're saying like, oh, you know, we couldn't work on the app very much. Here's the story of what happened. And I think part of the app core got purchased by somebody. I forget exactly the story, but they got some money from it, but they were working on other things. And they're like, we're not really working on it as much as we would like. And so it's um, open source. So as always, if you want to see how a good Mac app is written or how like a complicated real world use Mac app is written, you can check it out. Or, you know, if you just forgot about the editor, then you can go back and um, have a look at it too. So that's my code slash app pick. And my second pick, which is maybe a combination of things, is the book Creative Selection by Ken Cacienda. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I apologize. I think that's how he says it in his WWDC talk. Uh, He works, I think he used to work at Apple on a whole bunch of stuff. And I had first heard of him from this um, WWDC talk from 2014 called A Strategy for Great Work, which is like a non-technical, it's not like, you know, here's the information about this new framework. It's more of a uh, touchy-feely talk, maybe, you know, like an inspiration talk kind of a style where it's like, as this title suggests, how do you um, do great work? So the little blurb is like, how can like past projects help you? And he goes through a bunch of stories. I think there's like seven stories of like his time as an engineer at Apple and sort of how, what lessons he's learned, like how to do software development properly. So really interesting talk. Uh, And he had a book that was released, I think this year called Creative Selection, where he talks about, um, I forget what the subtitle of the book is, something like, you know, uh, how the Apple design process works for software or something like that. Um, Not design, like design design, but like software design. And I was reading the book and I was thinking like, he's like telling these stories about stuff that happened when he was working on the keyboard and stuff. And I'm like, "This, this sounds really familiar. Like I've heard this before. And I realized it was from the talk. So if you like reading books, then I would suggest his book, Creative Selection. If you're like an Apple fan, probably listen to this podcast. Then, um, But it also has a lot of interesting insights about software development in general. And if you don't like reading, you can, of course, get the audiobook. I think he narrates it. Or you can check out, if you don't have money, you can also check out this WWDC talk from 2014, A Strategy for Great Works. Uh, similar content to what's in the book, I think, from uh, what I've heard so far. Um, so yeah, that's my talk slash book pick. Cool. Nice. Good stuff. Comments? I mean, nothing? The link will be in the show notes for those of you driving at home, <laughs> even though it is currently not in the show notes. I will oh, it is there now. Yeah. I'm finding a good link to the book. Uh, it is there now. Yeah, it's just a yeah make sure you add your, your uh, referral link. Mm. Put that in Do there. we have an empty JC? I'll let Tim uh, stick that on there. No, I, I can get that in there. Yeah. yeah. I haven't finished the book. I'm maybe a third of the way through it or so, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, it's creative selection inside Apple's design process during the golden age of Steve Jobs. You got a mm. nice guy, but you know, I think the name dropping Steve Jobs is a little, you know, help the sales go. But uh, he was at Apple for a long time, software engineer. So if you're also a software engineer working on iOS or Mac software or whatever, and you're an Apple fan, then I think uh, I think it's a good it's a it's a good choice for something to read. Mm-hmm. Cool. So on my Amazon page here, it's got FinTech and the Flash as one of the sponsored ones to read as well. I mean, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Serve no master. How to escape the nine to five. There you go. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I guess that's it for yet another week. So hey, how many people want to find you? on the interwebs wherever they look I'm on Twitter as at dev with the hair alright and Greg if people want to get in touch with you you can send me an email at mtjc at gregio.com alrighty and my name is Timitra T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine that's the best way to get a hold of me but if you really wanted to you could send an email to mtjc at it-guy.com but you know I'm going to email you right now okay alright I'll, I'll respond with and I'll reply to your your mtjc um, okay so I guess that's it we'll say bye bye for this week Bye. Bye. Bye.
This concludes another intriguing, insightful, and inquisitive episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm friend of the show and sometimes host, Greg Heo. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find all the details on how to help us out on our website. That's mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time, eh? Tim, you reminded me of, because you'd asked about interesting things that came out of AWS reInvent. Yeah. Oh, when you talked yeah. about the uh, fintech and get out of the nine to five thing. Remember when I joked about, uh, let's create an ICO in, in an hour? Yeah, yeah. And make a lot of money conference talk idea that sure. eventually ended up somebody doing that. Um, AWS now offers a managed blockchain service. Nice. Which I think IBM might have been one of the first to offer blockchain as a service. But it's, mm-hmm. it's good to have, um, you know the biggest dog in the street off of that but it <laughs> oh. adds more credibility to to that loses out on the distributed nature of things it's not really meant for i think probably the the cryptocurrency diehards it's probably more for larger um enterprise type solutions mm. cool. did you guys just record a uh episode of this podcast no we, we only do podcasts when the um the short tracks are on so they're usually around the fourth or first like the first week of the month mm. so we did one last week two weeks ago when did we do one jaime i think it was a week or two uh uh, yeah, it must have been a couple of weeks yeah. ago. And Jaime's behind on his Doctor Who watching, so... Hmm. Uh, no, I saw the, the latest one, Witchfinder. Oh, did you? Okay, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm a slight, like, one day behind on Supergirl, so yeah. I'm pretty close. Did you like the one where they rewrote Indian history? Oh, um, Demons in the Punjab? Yeah, all my friends are, like, you know, a couple of guys on, on the Ray Runner, like, Slack hit me up because, uh, assuming that I would know the dates of, of uh, partitioning, or partition, what do they call it? Partitioning, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me see if I find the thread here. The India-Pakistan um, partition, you mean? Yeah, because because there was actually two that they got of them. The day wrong on some movie? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, there's there was two of them. There was two of them. I'm just trying to find it here. It was one. Oh, it was in random, maybe. It was um, what's his name? Was it Freak for PC? Who said it? I don't remember. No, it was somebody. Uh, new, a new guy. Right. New guy. I, I thought it was in the oh, maybe it was in Canada. I thought it was in the Canada one, but no, it must be in random. Maybe. Hang on. So did did they get the date wrong? Because that would be a very British thing to do. Well, <laughs> well it's American. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Right, it is British. No, 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 don't, don't throw us under the bus. This is a distinctly British thing. I got you, I got you. Even when they went to Rosa Parks' time, uh, they clearly used British actors. Yeah? Yeah, it was a whole bunch of what seemed like British actors trying to do an American accent. Sprite by tutorials, is this legit? Huh. Oh, this is Martin goofing around on Photoshop. Um... 
Where is it? I think your app mentioned. You can just do a search of all of your... Can I? Oh, Jayant. Here it is. I found it. Jayant Varma. He said that uh, Timitra, the independence dates are August 14th, 1947 for Pakistan and, uh, and the 25th of August, 1947 for India. However, there's a lot of information on Wikipedia. And he gave me a Wikipedia link, which we'll link in the show notes, of course. Let's see. Yeah, because that's... I, I forgot what date they actually mentioned in in um, in uh, on the Doctor Who show, but, I, I, you know, you could hear, you could feel the Indian and Pakistani people cringing as they said the date incorrectly, right? So, But I do remember there being two partitions from what my dad... The only, only reason I know it is from the, the movie Gandhi, right? Because cause when I when I was little, there was East and West Pakistan, right? And then one of them became Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. I think the East Pakistan? The East would have been, yeah. Yeah, so... And the whole idea was, you know, that they, they were... You know, Gandhi was trying to get Indian people to... Indian religions and whatever to unite and be one people against the British. And then what ended up happening was they split the Sikhs and the Muslims and the Hindus by giving them separate lands, you know, or something to that effect. So Wikipedia here says that the two self-governing countries of Pakistan and India legally came into existence at midnight on 14th through 15th August 1947. Right, uh, the okay. term partition of India does not cover the secession of Bangladesh from Pakistan in 1971, nor the earlier separations of Burma, now Myanmar, and Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, from the administration mm. of British India. Mm-hmm. Also, it doesn't cover a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, just so India I and thought, Pakistan. Yeah, I thought Bangladesh happened when I was when I was already around, but yeah, I guess it was. I would have been 11 years old, or 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was and there was that whole George Harrison concert for Bangladesh thing, and which is sort of the first Live Aid kind of thing, right? Yeah, I did, so so I guess India wasn't India until 47? What was it called before that? Would it have been mm, British, British Indian, Indian yeah, Empire? <laughs> British yeah. Indian Empire? The, the colonies or something similar? Like like the US and Canada before mm. before uh, sure. Send your, uh, your feedback to at MTJC on Twitter. <laughs> or not, I'm sorry, pound, pound sign, or hashtag ask MTJC for now us. Now known as the Indian History Podcast. Yeah, exactly. More than just Indian history. All right. Oh, enough of that. Yeah, I don't really, unfortunately, I don't, you know, in spite of being half Indian, I don't really don't know the history of, of India at all. Other than the fact that a bunch of names got changed. And I know the story of Gandhi based on what Hollywood ta- taught me about it, right? The salt, yes. The salt, yes. The salt. I forgot about salt. Make your own salt. Um, or don't make your own salt, you lawbreaker. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I think he, he was breaking the law by making his own salt. Uh, that's what I mean. <laughs> so I was like... Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow you. Okay. What surprises me is learning how young uh, so many countries around the world are. Really? really? Yeah. I, I tend to think of the United States as a very young country compared to a lot of countries like, you know, Britain. Well, compared to Europe France. it is, you know. Except for weird ones like like Germany is reasonably young too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like weirdly young given like you just said that most European countries tend to be fairly old. Well, I, I only mean that from the point of view like my friend Marin was was telling us about a house that he's looking at buying and, and he was saying that the, you know, the date that it was made goes back to like the 1700s or something like that, which is, you know, I guess that that's possible in, in it's possible in Canada and, and in um, in America, but yeah, I mean, people, people live in houses that are like really old in in Europe, right? Yeah, that's what I think yeah. of as old. You know, or if, if, have you ever been to Europe before? I never have, never have. So it would be my technically my first time when I go to um, Code Mobile. In the late are you going? Oh, you're going to Code Mobile? Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm going to speak there. Hmm. I mean, that's an island, though. It's not really the, the continent. Still technically part of Europe and the European Union until mm, uh, yeah, March but, you know, 31st. It's not the continent. It's not like the actual actual Europe. Is that at least what people told me? Geographically, where is it located? Code Mobile. Yeah. In uh, Chester, UK. Oh, in Chester. Oh, UK. Wow. Oh, in the Quite UK. A way away. 
Yeah, but but Greg might be right about the uh, not being continental. So it's sort of like uh, tomatoes are culinarily vegetables, right? But right. Technically not. <laughs> so how far is Chester from Reading? I have no idea. I have to look him up. <laughs> Did you get the Reading reference, Greg? Uh, no. What's the Reading no, reference? Okay. Oh, just well on you know the CBC show as it happens. No, I don't. Whenever they whenever they talk whenever they reference any city in England, they always kind of and how far they they reference how far it is <laughs> from Reading. Reading? <laughs> yeah. I like that. I'll start doing that. <laughs> I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't even know where Reading is, you know. So, yeah, I've looked at it on the map before, but, yeah, that's about it. Um, anyway, it's just, it's a funny reference. Anyway. We should check with uh, our friend Mick and see if he's going to Code Mobile. He lives in uh, Chester or thereabouts. Oh, this is, yeah, this is, I was going to say, this is the one that's up yes. near where Mick is. It's between um, um, Manchester and Liverpool, isn't it? Uh, I it's don't know. I know the them, county I or whatever he lives in is Chester. It's, you know, oh, is it? Chester or something or other. So I think he's near that. Yeah, so I just looked on the map and yeah, that is nearby where he is. So I should find out if he's going. Yeah, because I, I think I've, I've seen him and, and uh, a few other, um, of course, I'm not butchering the Queen's English as I say that. I've seen him and a few other um, Wendy's uh, talk about conferences in Europe and, and being relatively inexpensive compared to North American ones, right? Yeah, usually I think iOS WK is the big one. I thought Code Mobile, would, or maybe I'm thinking of iOS Cont London or something. And I know there's that one in London. There's uh, mm-hmm. iOS WK in Wales and um, now Code Mobile. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, all right. All we have is Ennis North coming back in April in Montreal. Ugh, not even Toronto, though. I know. Well, we're just something in the in the works, but we'll talk about it later. Mm. Um, Was it right. a Bill One Hundred One requirement? <laughs> <laughs> you're look. You're cheating. You're looking ahead in the in the show notes. Hang on. Spoilers for up ahead. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. See, but you'll put this in the after show, so technically it's going know, back. Know, it's like I a know. back Everybody reference. Everybody already time. knows what Bill One Hundred One mm-hmm. is. Time. Come mm-hmm. on. By this time, exactly, exactly. So go across the pond, show folks what we do here in the US of A. Cool. <laughs> try to convince them. done the right way, yeah. <laughs> we do crazy things here and try to convince them that uh, now that they, you know, by that point, they will have just left the European Union and now is the time to get back with their old sweetheart, the United States of America, mm-hmm. and mm. combine into the United States, sorry, the United Kingdom of America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with the subtitle, plus Canada, because I think you guys should come along too. Aww, yeah. just as a subtitle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then so we'll he, just start tacking them on. Use our you know, last week, so I don't know what he's what, what's happened by the way Jaime I just got a book for you it's perfect for this podcast it's called uh, but I'm not an expert how to go from newbie to expert and radically skyrocket your influence without feeling like a fraud is the subtitle but I just you know for those of you driving at home that's my pick <laughs> neat, neat. or also there's Great. also Android de- Android development for gifted primates <laughs> <laughs> that is quite the title for, uh, I mean, I guess there's probably so many books out there you got to... But, but I'm not an expert. Or... No, no, I mean, the, the Android, there must be Prime so many age. Android development book yeah. titles out there that all sound like learning Android, programming yeah. Android, you know, yeah. get started with Android. But like, you throw Primate in there and it's like, wait, wait, let me let me go back to see what that one was. Yeah. There are, I, there are some developers who would argue about that that title, but uh, read your magnets. Greg, are you, uh, are you not going to be in the conference circuit this year? Because I saw that, uh, um, oh my gosh, what conference is it? Is it iOS Conf? Singapore just came up with its mm. set of folks, saw some familiar faces, did not see Greg Heo on there. Yeah, yeah. I won't be able to, it's uh, I think Jan- mid-January or something like that, so the timing isn't going to work out, so I'm not going to be able to make it, unfortunately. But uh, just too bad, because uh, my old topology colleagues, uh, Agnes and Jeff, are both going to be there. So if I had gone, I was joking, it could have been a topology trifecta. It would have been three employees or ex-employees who are uh, at the same conference in Singapore, no less. Um, but yeah, timing's not going to work out, so uh, it's a no, unfortunately. Mm. Nice. 
trying to find a date when this book was published, this primate book. <laughs> I'd assume it's relatively recent, but who knows? I thought it had a nice, um, very nice jazzy title, you know, just clickbaity sort of title. Mm. Yeah. Those yeah. are the best ones. Well, it says, tired of dry, humorless, life-sucking coding books that feel like they're written by an automation? <laughs> Interesting. This is a very opinionated book about Android development, it says, geared towards beginners. You'll learn along, among other things. Yeah, there you go. But it doesn't have a date, so I can't really tell. Like, usually with, with coding books, you'd look at the date to see, you know, whether it's relevant or not, hmm. you know, because it could be a great book, but except for, you know, books that Greek Greg reads because they're like 10 years old or whatever, but... <laughs> 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 is that a good thing, or is that a little uh, well, slight of you? I know. I mean, coding coding principles are are you know they're they're universal and timeless and evergreen and all that kind of stuff. But like when you're talking about whether will it work with will it compile in X, in iOS 11 or iOS 12 is is always the challenge, right? Mm. Yeah. So especially for a beginner, like, it must be. I mean, it was bad enough when 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 I was starting to to learn um, iOS, but it must be really bad now when you you pick up a book and you come home and it won't even you know first thing you do is you run into like a whole bunch of errors because you know the swift version isn't isn't up to snuff in the book compared to what's you know actually in your current version of xcode right so that must make uh plus you know you still get a lot of cryptic errors with i mean we used to get cryptic errors with objective c but we still get them in swift too right so mm-hmm. the other day i made a typo in in some code i was writing and and uh the error that it was telling me was like something about you know my the double isn't really a float or something like that and it had nothing to do with uh with what with what i was coding i was accidentally passing a string in as an as a as a int but it didn't didn't wasn't clean it wasn't quite plain enough to to sort of show what i was doing wrong because i typed in the, the wrong variable name somewhere deep in the code hmm. yeah swift Lots of, it's the worst it's the worst yeah well the problem is objective c it would let you do that and then you'd never be able to find the error right <laughs> where swift just tells you before it even compiles right yeah so what else is going on with you guys you crazy guys i have a weird coding question for y'all that arguably could have been on the show but it just occurred to me now based on mm-hmm. some things you were saying so i am unclear why everybody seems to like using the so let's say you have a ui that ui view controller and it's contained within a navigation controller and you want to change what the button looks like or the text that it has in it and so forth yeah yeah it's really so i'm trying to clean up you know the various different ways it's being done in our code base you know because it's had multiple developers over many years and i was looking just looking at the docs, making sure I wasn't crazy, looking online, Stack Overflow, all these sorts of things. I'm really unclear why everybody seems to be really interested in using the left bar button item property of uh, UI navigation item mm-hmm. to create a back uh-huh. button when there's a perfectly good back bar button item right there ever since iOS 2.0 came out. It's it's almost as if that property doesn't exist. I rarely see examples online that, that use it. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts, opinions on that as to what that might be? Well, I used to work with a developer who lives in San Jose and he, um, we worked on a project together, and we the customer insisted on having um, custom back buttons, right? And I'm just going to check and see because I'm pretty sure that's the one we used. Let me just have a quick look. It's, it's in, and it won't take me long to find it because it's just every view controller we have has a custom back button. I thought you were going to ask why everybody wants to deviate from what Apple does, Apple suggests out of the box. Well, it's so weird because I mean, if you wanted the back button to look custom, yeah, uh, and you can even you can even change that thing if you want, yeah, uh, and and by default it does use the title property to create the, the mm-hmm. back button text if you don't overwrite to say happy fun time instead of you know master her detail or something uh, or back but it's just really unclear like i understand that yes you know you have buttons on the right and you tend to put yeah. add done save that sort of thing edit in the upper right hand corner and yes visually the left side uh the left bar button item or items if you do it that way surely 
back button would be there, but there is a back bar button item property right there. It's like right there on, on it. And it's not new. It's not like, oh, you know, people were doing this. So Apple added a, a common pattern into the SDK. This has been in the SDK basically since day one. So a couple of things. One was, I'm just looking, there is a note here. I, I, I kind of remember this, but I'm not sure. So I think one is that you can't yeah, get super so. custom with this. Isn't that right? Yeah, you'd have to use um, UI appearance stuff if you wanted to change like half the things that people tend to change. Yeah, so maybe that's part of it. There is a note here that says if the title of your back button is too long, mm-hmm. it may substitute the string back, which I believe the left bar button will never do. It will never touch what you put in there. Because um, I think the back, you know, if it gets too long, it's like, oh, I still have to show that this is super important and it will never try to clip it. Or sorry, if it's a back button, it will try to clip it. So I think that might be part of it as well of why you might, um, I guess it's like the what they call, like the semantic web instead of putting like uh, M tags or B tags, you're supposed to put like, you know, strong or uh, I don't know, block, block, what's not an example, but, you know, markup with like HTML5, call it a section and call it an article. Don't use P tags, for example, like mark it up with what it is. I think using the back bar button item is good because it's like, no, it's a back button. But I think there are some additional constraints that it puts on because it knows that it's supposed to be a back button and it will still try to help you. But if you want like super duper control, never touch this. Uh, It has a super long title, but I don't want you to touch it. Like that's fine because that's what I want. Then people use the left. I don't think that's a great reason, but that might be one. The other, the obvious one is probably like people don't know this thing exists and you should have made it a pick and told people if you're customizing the back Mm -hmm. button, use freaking back bar button item. Yeah, I guess that could be the tip of the week. Use that unless you really do want a paragraph in that back button, then use the left button. Yeah, <laughs> the left or if bar there's like nothing back, but you want to go, you still want back and you want like a modal dismiss or something like that. I don't know. I'm sure there's there's reasons for it. This is more like, what do you want it to look like? But for the actual functionality, it will do, the system will handle what it does and you just want to give a custom appearance to it. Whereas the left bar button is like, you have to give it an appearance. You can give it an appearance and you have to do the action as well, which if the action is just, you know, self.navigation controller, you know, pop or whatever, then it's doing the same thing. But, you know, it does give you one more customization point, I guess. So maybe there's that too, appearance versus functionality. But you're right, if it's a standard back button, then people are just going to pop the stack. So you're anyway, saying that so bar, really back matter. bar button item is, is part of the navigation stack array, like navigation navigation items, Jaime? Hmm. Yeah, it's on UI navigation item. Hmm. And I checked, I was like, I, I thought it was going insane. I said, because I, I was a proponent of using back bar button item. I was like, it's there. It describes exactly what it does. And as Greg mentioned, like, hmm. we don't need to do anything custom. We're just going to pop off the stack anyways. Yeah. And I said, well, maybe, maybe I'm crazy because like, I've looked online and it's like, all right, maybe, you know, everybody seems to be asking in Stack Overflow, like, how do I do a back button? Oh, yeah, do this. Use the left bar button. I was like, mm, that seems a little weird. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe maybe this was added in iOS 7 and it's like, you know, not really new because we're on 12, but maybe it's like new enough that, you know, enough early adopters started doing this one thing and now everybody, you know, keeps sharing the same tribal knowledge. And I was like, no, it says right here, iOS 2.0 plus. Since we didn't have iOS 1 as developers, that means it's been there since day one. That's a good question, Jaime. I don't know. Maybe that's for you to come back and say, argue the other side and say, why would you not want to use this? What are the right. custom cases where you shouldn't use back bar button item? Maybe that's the angle to take. Uh, find a counter example, sort of like proof by contradiction or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe I just get lazy and go on Twitter like I did before. <laughs> and then this time I said, 
Why do, I prefer to use back bar button and for back buttons, fight me, yeah, which yeah. is pretty much what I said about Disgust, uh, Swift. Yeah. That like, you know, the guard statement is my favorite statement mm-hmm. or my Did favorite part of you? Swift. Fight me. There were people who had uh, uh, fun things. Um, okay. There were people in support who said, yeah, I totally agree. It's great. And somebody else said, well, it's really just syntactic sugar over an if flat. And I was like, that's true. And mm, uh, it's not though, Mary, because it also binds a variable for the rest of the scope. So that is not really true. You know, it, it has it, it has one extra neat little trick it does you're right that, that yeah. if let does not do um but it's largely syntactic sugar and i think i responded to them that it uh you know it's some sugar spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down easier i, which I, is I think nice. i would have to argue that it is not it is not possible to get that same effect without guard is what i would say because how would you do it you would have to assign a variable or just maybe let the variable not assign it have an if bind it inside the let i guess the trick is like the guard has to exit the scope so you can just return early and not access the variable so maybe actually it's possible if you declare a variable don't set it do an if set it inside the if otherwise return and then maybe the compiler will let you do it so maybe i take it back maybe it's possible to do it i have to see if it's allowed or not yeah i I got their point and there are other nice things like generics that i think other folks pointed out you know those are nice too i think people go a little crazy with generics and i see too many code bases and conference talks that seem to be obsessed with like if i could just come up with the perfect generic then my entire app will be one line of code <laughs> yeah, i definitely noticed the anti-generics and also anti-protocol bent in my twitter feed lately i don't know if it's just the, the the crowd that i'm following but i'm noticing a little bit of a backlash against that having too many protocols and using overusing generics too much and sort of a move towards more simplicity and more concrete types i don't know have you guys noticed that yeah i i definitely have and i and i think you're right i think the pendulum swung so far to one side mm-hmm. where people were just obsessed protocol oriented programming and generics are a huge part of that just protocol oriented and generic all the things and now it's like oh well then i came into somebody else's code base i didn't understand what the hell's going on so i yeah. undid all that <laughs> stuff so i can make it simpler and easier to understand and now i've come to this pragmatic middle of like use them where they make sense if it hurts clarity don't use it just do the boilerplate yeah yeah i think protocols using protocols but with it, without generics is sort of where i've landed i don't use very many generics uh these days but definitely factoring out sort of like the um i don't know what they would call the intents or interfaces kind of like in the Java or maybe the C-sharp world, I think it's still handy. So that instead of passing around concrete types, you you know pass around protocol types instead. Like that seems to be a, a useful pattern that I still stick with. So maybe I still do have too many protocols, but generics is definitely, I've, I've cut that down a lot. Speaking with which, I'm going to be at the Functional Swift conference this weekend. So I'm looking forward to getting even more protocols and generics beaten out of me and to uh, you know have everybody tell me how great functional stuff is. So looking forward to that. Mm, nice, nice. And where is that conference happening, Greg? It's in uh, New York. Oh, really? Hmm. hmm. Interesting. By the way, just cranked open our app here to see what why we we in fact use the left bar button item as you said mm. instead of the back bar button item. It's because in our case we don't want a title, right? And for some reason you can't customize and change the icon. Uh, that's true. If you set the title to nil, it uses the word back or the title of the previous thing. Yeah, it's like, a list. Yeah, in our case, case that might be like the, yeah. the crappy way to override that. I don't know. Right. Yeah. You, you yeah. can so. you can give nil, so you can do you can decorate with like a bar button item that has no no target no um selector mm. and no um no title mm. and it will just do whatever you want which will by default um use whatever ui appearance has i think we've got the custom little arrow icon that we're using mm. yeah but in, in our case our, our designer also wanted to use a custom um icon for the, the graphic let me just see here when i use when i used a um yeah when i used when i used the uh, the um back bar 
chevron button item. It just put a black chevron with the with the name of the previous one. So she wanted to have a custom uh, piece of artwork for that. That's another reason why, possibly. Don't mess with Mr. S- Mr. Rubin. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> email, email Mark R at smapsoff.com. <laughs> I think you should use back bar button item. Fight me. <laughs> well, let's all email him right now. <laughs> yeah, no, there had to be a reason why. I'm just looking at all the all the uh, all the adjustments I have to make for the iPhone 10 on this uh, this app. Ugh, I went to cry. Wow, it's almost as bad as going from System Six or uh, iOS six to seven. Well, look forward to June of next year because we're if the rumors are true, we're probably going to get a new visual refresh. Mm. Are we? It was supposedly going to happen this year, and then they said, mm, no, let's worry about stability and performance, and let's push that off to next really? year, which wow. would be 2019. Huh. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a simple fix. Oh, not so much. Time to close the app and walk away. <laughs> All right. Should we call it an evening? We should call Consume. it an evening. Yes, I have to go to work in the morning. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.